Welcome to the CoinRivet podcast. I'm Jeff Gross. CoinRivet makes it easy to buy, sell, send, and store cryptocurrencies quickly in one place. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all future episodes. All right. Welcome, everyone. We have another very special podcast today. It's the man, the myth, the legend. He is just that 2012 World Series of Poker champion, player of the year, two-time bracelet winner, Greg Merson. How are you? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, been a while. I don't think we've spoken a few years, but we go way back, like a uh, de- decade plus. Yes, it's, it's, it is. It's, Yo, it's, we might, let's, let's start that over. Sorry. Let me... Uh, sorry. I have a uh, telegram. I thought, I thought I had it closed. That's fun. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll tell him. Um, well, let me just ask. Make sure I can edit. I, I know I can, but I'll just start. Sorry, I thought I had everything off. You're good. I yeah, I did. I heard it in the background sometimes, but that's that's not even a big deal. Um, right. But yeah, we can just redo the thing. I'm just. Uh, Is that signed by Tyson? Yeah, actually, I guess from like a charity, just like an online little fun charity thing. And it was one of the items to buy. It was like a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, some other. um, I have some other little pieces. I I love sports cards memorabilia. I'm a a fish. I buy so much stuff. And like I I got really deep into sports cards in the last four years. So um, it's it's been it's 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 a it's it's interesting. It's gone. It was way up and now it's back down and it's all over the place. But it's fun. Um, okay. So yeah, we can edit that out. No problem. We'll take two and, uh, sorry. So I'll tell him to take two. All right. Ready? Yep. Welcome everyone. We have another very special guest today. It is the 2012 WSOP main event champion. Yes. The main event, not just a bracelet winner, although he did win two in that main event. It is Greg Merson. How are you, Greg? Hey man. How's it going? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's great to chat. As we were saying, it's been a few years, although we've gone back for a decade or so. And, you know, it's uh, it's just it's amazing being I know you're a father. Congratulations. Thank um, you. Married. I, I, we share that, which is obviously, uh, as you know, with this this age, like two and a half, three year olds, it's it's intense. I think you just welcomed your second. So, yeah, big congrats to you. Uh, what have you been up to? I know, again, poker, people know you from poker, but what have you been sort of focusing on in the, in the past couple of years? Um, so I'm still playing uh, full time. I'm just playing online mostly the past like five or six years. I stopped traveling for tournaments like the beginning of 2016 and started focusing on just playing online cash uh, and like having a healthier lifestyle of not being on the road as much. Like being on the road for me was, was always really unhealthy in terms of like jet lag and always getting sick and putting on weight and not working out consistently and not eating well, whatever. So uh yeah, it's just nice to be in a routine, but I will say that uh, I've been itching to get back to playing some more events and uh, like getting off the computer and getting, getting some breaks from uh, from the grind. But yeah, these days I play four days a week, um, about like 25, 30 hours a week. And um, yeah, like nothing, uh, nothing too crazy. I got to ask you, as someone who has experienced the high of the highs in, in, in poker, you won the main event in 2012, you won player of the year, you're talking about eight million plus dollars from ten thousand dollars uh you had the success how is it for you to kind of transition and then just go back to, okay i'm gonna play 20 30 hours a week online you know it's not like huge nosebleed staying uh mm-hmm. games going generally or like you're in new jersey like how do you sort of um cope with that like is, is it hard for you sometimes to feel excited 
or is it just a, a just the, the the path of the game and like you you try to do your best for what is at hand? Have you have you struggled with that, or is that just something that you were easy to to shift and transition into playing for you know whatever stakes and trying to make make a positive return? Sure, yeah. No, I've struggled with it for the online tournaments forever, and it's kind of why I've never really been that into them because I've just found them to be very time consuming, much tougher than the live tournaments, and then with way less money up top generally. So like. It's hard to be very stimulated when it's like, you know, back in the day, if, even like the Sunday million is like 200K for first. But, but one, one, like I, I, once you've made final tables with like seven figures up top, it, it just spoils you. And, and back then I was playing 10Ks and 25Ks when they were much softer. So, so like the thought of playing some of the smaller stuff or less pre prestigious stuff, even like 1500 WSVP events, I would, I would always skip those. And these days, it's like mandatory to play that low if you're going to play um, tournaments. Um, so I guess, uh, yeah, for online cash, because I started my career with online cash, I've always had like a lot of respect for it and it's never felt like too small for me. So like I can still play down to 200, uh, no limit. Um, like I don't play a lot of volume there, but if games aren't great and I can just load up a bunch of 200 and place in PLO as well. Um, like if, if the mid and high six no limit isn't that good, I, I still like really love, um, yeah, like all the games, all the stakes. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know, I love poker, man. Like I uh, was just telling a buddy, a good friend of mine last week that like, if like if, if I could make twice as much money per year doing crypto or trading and traditional finance, I would choose poker any, any day. I mean, like- I That's guess an interesting concept and question. I wonder what the actual, would be so everyone has everyone has a number right should, right should, maybe maybe if you're giving me like 20 million a year instead of 10 million like or whatever like at some point it's going to be like okay i'm i'm not going to play poker but i really just love uh i just love playing i love what it does from my mind i love that it keeps me sober i love that it keeps me like, motivated um to like live a healthy lifestyle and um yeah like i don't see myself ever ever stopping yeah for sure no i agree with that and it, would you say uh, is that one of the, the biggest things that poker does in terms of keeping you active, keeping your mind sharp? Is that something you do believe you'll play kind of forever? No, at, whether it's a new form of poker or a variation, do you, you believe you'll play pretty much for your, for your entire life? Yeah. So I, I always knew that like later in my career, I want to start learning some more games. Um, so like five years ago, I started learning PLO. And then about 18 months ago, I started playing PLO 8. And then a few months ago, I started dabbling a little bit in uh, HOE, um, just just trying to be able to be like somewhat decent enough to play these WSOP events and not just be completely torching it. Like I want to feel like I have a chance to to win. Um, like I doubt I doubt I'm actually like a winning player, but you know it's a tournament, so I can uh, glory chase. So. Listen, PLOA, you'd be surprised. I, I I've heard this for years. It's such a valuable. Uh, tournament to play at the WSOP, the 10K one. And you know, I, I would just say, like, I was, I, you know, it's funny because when you don't know the game, you actually don't really know, right? Like, some things may appear bad and you're like, oh, maybe that's actually a good player. They're doing something right. But like, there's some very obviously incorrect things happening. I think people just kind of splashing around and, and the field size is good. So, yeah, I think that that game's really fun and, and fun to play uh, tournament variation of that. Very, very yeah. So I've never played a tournament. Like, I've just been playing cash games. Uh, Mm -hmm. Even like PLO events at the series, I don't even think I've played five lifetime, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get in there and play. It'll be, it'll be and, fun. And how would you describe yourself 
your your kind of history of your game and as a poker player because you know i know tony greg one of your closest friends i got a lot of respect for that guy uh, you know we in maryland we also kind of would know each other and hang out some and you know watching what he did and how he's progressed and just one of the sharpest minds best players and, and sort of like you know associate you two as a crew together and obviously you guys have done well at the world series but your your cash game is a background i would say stronger although you've had such great tournament accolades how do you define yourself and tony how would you give say you guys are as players like are you tournament or cash game players or both i mean he always loved playing tournaments even though he was a really good cash player and also came from a cash background he just yeah. loved playing tournaments um so i never had the same love as him for like he would play online tournaments and stuff and i I, uh, I don't know. I never really got into it like he did, but um, he, he's like world-class and much better poker player than me. Like I've had to work really, really hard. Not that he didn't work hard too. I just, I just think he's like infinitely more talented than me. And like, even though he barely plays poker anymore, I, I, I would probably take him over me in just about any lineup or format of no limit hold him. Like he's just so good. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's like, complete legend it was awesome to travel the world with him and talk poker with him and i definitely miss having him around uh like in the scene because i know he, he mostly just um like manages his own funds these days and does some uh traditional finance trading um he plays some mixed games now so he's still he's still around but i'll see him in in vegas and um yeah i mean just complete crusher man like I, I've always said that if he wanted to be the best player in the world, he could have he could have done it because he, he was already there like multiple times uh, throughout his career. But he, he's such a like silent killer. Kind of reminded me a lot of like David Peters has always been really elite, but just because of his demeanor at the table, just like he's not very talkative. He's not like not doing a lot of interviews, stuff like that. So so D, D Peters, unless you were like in the know, was kind of under the radar for a while. Um and now considered like top three, top five in the world. But Tony yeah. also had the ability to crush the high stakes cash games as well. And there's so few people that can do both. Um, like maybe Ali Imservich is one of them or Jake Schindler or Jason Kuhn. Like there's there's few guys that can do uh, both because they're such different skill sets. I saw Doug Polk talking about the top 100 players and putting names. I think, you know, your name was put in the conversation. I think you instantly were mentioning Tony because exactly your point. Like he's just kind of under the radar, but definitely anyone who knows poker has played with him is you don't want to see that guy at your table. You just know yeah. he, he's not giving anything away and he's going to put you in some in the blender in a bunch of spots. But um, yeah, so would you say if you could choose one, what, it, what would you say is more uh, – what is what would you say Greg Merson is known for? I mean, it's kind of hard because he won the main event, so you're sort of automatically put in that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely more known for that. But like, I my whole career has been based around playing online cash, um, so that's kind of like the way the lens that I view myself through. And um, like, I kind of always struggled with how, how many of these tournaments should I really play as more people start specializing in them, and I, I'm not as interested as like studying the spots and putting in the volume. And I'm like giving up some EV deep in the in the tournament when the stacks get short. So, um, yeah, I just I just got to a point where I wanted to just focus on one thing, and um, and yeah, it's just always going to be online cash for me. Like it's tough uh, these days. It's tough to do like different variants and be very elite at them, right? Because I kind of always have separated online cash, online tournaments, live cash, live tournaments. Like all four of them. I mean, we're playing the same game, right? But they're all so different. And um, there's people that specialize in each format. 
So I used to do all four of those. I think I did it at a high level, but once people started becoming like super dialed in on one subset, it became uh, pretty tough to be much of a, of a crusher in any one of them when you're, when you're like bouncing around all of them. I love how you put that because I, I haven't really thought of it like that, but it's so true because they are completely different, although sim- very similar. Um, what would you say if someone at home is watching and they're like, you know what, this is uh, poker's amazing. I love it, but I can't really decide. I like kind of playing cash. I like tournaments. I have access to a good place to play live, but I also, you know, I can play at home on sites. Obviously, there's there's different options, different regions. What would be your advice to someone getting into poker to kind of break into just you know if it's at a you don't know anything about them or their skill sets for poker what do you think is the easiest way to become profitable or break into the scene which i mean i've I've always just recommended people play online cash because you can play really low and you can you can get a lot of reps in without you like if you're a losing player you can go play really low not lose too much start improving hopefully eventually start winning move up i mean it's tough with the rake at lower stakes to build a bankroll these days but it's still just such a good uh place to practice and then maybe utilize some of those skills in your uh, your weekly home game or your your local casino one two or two five game so they're like the, the amount of experience that you can get online is just like uh, it's just insane I mean it, it, it's like at the higher end it doesn't matter as much anymore because the live cash players can just study off the table whereas before they weren't able to do that so there used to be like a huge gap between the live 10 20 player and like the online two five player, like the, the online player is just so much better. But but now that that live ten twenty player can can study and run stuff that they they couldn't do before. So like the reps aren't as important now. Um, but yeah, if you're like just starting out, I, I would always recommend starting online. And and do you see a threat to poker for for our live ever? Because you know we see this. Kind of dichotomy of people that are you know it's like in some respects there's all the information's there right but how do people process information even then there's still so many unique spots and people can exploit and in, in their situation so how do you how do you sort of think about let's just take 1020 live right at uh going to a casino like do you think that's in jeopardy in the next decade two or three uh, or the future or will there always yeah. just be people that love to play they're recreational and they'll yeah. be people there whatever and then there's still that combination of luck and skill and the game will just always be around yeah, no, I, I think live poker is here to stay. And I've, I've, I've been telling close friends for the past five years or so that live poker is clearly the future. There's a lot of things uh, not going in the right direction for online. Like, it's hard to know how long it can be sustained. Um, but live poker is definitely in the future. And if you don't like playing live poker, then you should think about what you want to do <laughs> possibly in the next, like, 10, 15, 20 years. Like, it's, it's hard to say. Um, like if you asked me in 2013, 14, if I would still be playing online cash right now, I would have, uh, been, I would have said I was a favorite to not be still be around doing it. Um, so yeah, I mean, luckily the U S regulated online and it gave me a chance to, to play in like a better market than the rest of the world. But, uh, yeah, like. I mean, when the sol- when the solvers came out, I went from beating ten twenty and twenty five fifty on stars to like breaking even in the Zoom two five games over over like a year period. So it just was a huge shift in, in like what you needed to do in order to win. And I'm not sure if I would have wanted to put in all that work for like not that much reward. Right. Yeah. It's uh. It definitely the landscape ha- has changed. And what is uh. What is the 
the the thing that's going to get you back? Was it just timing for to go to the main event or to the WSOP this year? You plan to go, and, and was that you said your daughter? You had some, you know, the children and, and all that. Was that would you have been at the WSOP the past few years, or was that the main reason? Why so yeah, I mean, I, I obviously twenty twenty was canceled. I played the online main event. I cashed in it, and then twenty twenty one. Well, let me go back. Nineteen, I only went for the main event. Eighteen was my last full summer there. So okay. 19, I just played the main and like a one or two side events. And then uh, 20 online event, 21, skipped the entire thing for my daughter's birth. And then uh, now I finally feel like uh, I'm ready to get out there. I don't think I could really do the whole thing, but I definitely uh, think I'm good for like three to five weeks a summer for the next like five years as my kids are younger and um, and really just like I think I can give good output performance energy and stuff for for three to five weeks stretch and seven weeks is like a bit much I, I'm not like a sick animal to be able to just do like 70 hours a week potentially for seven weeks and is it are you excited about the new venue do you think it was time for a change obviously nostalgic for you winning two bracelets, the main event there, but is it like, all right, you know, do you kind of feel just comfortable because you know you can win there and you've done it and all that, or do you not think about this stuff? You're just like, all right, it's cool, new venue, it'll be fun. Let's go somewhere new and play. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just feel comfortable in Vegas in general, so it doesn't really matter where, where I'm playing. I've played all over the place, like some private games at random casinos, like Mirage and stuff, and then a lot of Aria, a lot of Bellagio, a little bit at Encore. So, like, really, any room... Uh, I'm going to feel comfortable in Vegas. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping it's a better experience because no, like the Rio wasn't really all that great. Uh, most people would agree, but it, it definitely was easy to get to. So, I mean, maybe, maybe people won't be as excited if there's a lot of traffic. I mean, that's yet to be seen, but yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. It should be fun. I think it was time. It was time for a change. Yeah. Um, what, what is, uh, tell me about the 2012, WSOP, what what kind of was working or maybe even different? Or do you remember, was it was there anything energetically or routine-wise or just like you were studying or some new concepts or leaks or things you plug? Like, was there anything different than that main event than any others or just, you know, the nature of tournaments and that you got to run good, you got to get the right situations, tables, yeah. all that? What, what was, would you, how would you sum up your, your main event win? I definitely ran like crazy hot, obviously, but um, it was like kind of the perfect storm because I, I got sober um, the end of 2011. I went back to Toronto and I was just playing like I was on the sickest schedule ever where I was just playing nonstop, like no, uh, very little social life, just hang out with my roommate and a couple of other poker players, just all in poker. I started playing one, two by, by May. I was playing 10, 20 again. I was winning like 200 online in the first five months, uh, like playing in the rest of the world field, which which was is like still to this day would be would be really good. And I, I just felt like really locked in. And then um, I had even though I wasn't playing tournaments, like a lot of my friends at the time were uh, were playing. Like Chewy was playing a bunch. I hung out with him a lot. Um, obviously, Tony was playing a lot of these tournaments. Christian Harder. So like I would I would hear uh, hand histories from them all the time in these events. Um, and especially like that summer living with, with, uh, Tony and Christian, always hearing spots, talking about, uh, these tournament spots. And then when I'd show up to play an event, I was kind of like an unknown to the tournament guys. And I, I felt like I had like an idea of what was going on and how I could exploit, uh, like the, uh, like the metagame back then w without people having like any idea how I played. So I definitely was able to just like 
over bluff everyone um, and really just like run stuff that <laughs> wouldn't get through these days because people just will look you up. Um, so, I mean, that was definitely a huge advantage. I also think that like back then people were raising really small, three betting really small, four betting really small. And like, I just didn't really fold because you, you're not really supposed to. And I guess back then people didn't, uh, people folded too much uh, pre-flop and post-flop. So like you were just rewarded for being an animal. Um, right. So I definitely was like just blasting too. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you, like, so you go to the WSOP this year, and you know that there's a lot of new information. People, there's some great players out there. You know, obviously, you talk about like eight thousand person field or such, and a ten k there's value in it. And you know, you you have gotten that value. You've already kind of you you've done a lifetime's work there, right? No matter what happens in the World Series, you've done very well. But how does that mentally to go in and be like, look, there's so many people. Like you said, you can't really just do what you used to do. You can't just run stuff over. People are yeah. have changed. People, the average player's gotten better. How does that kind of factor in? You know, like realistically to like win a tournament or, or to to be very profitable. How do you kind of approach that mentally with the game being? You know, because like let's say in 2012, how big a favorite you were versus the field in general, right? You're just probably like night and day better than people. And now yeah. it's tightened up. How do you kind of calibrate that that in terms of men mentality? on when you go and approach these, these things. Now, yeah. I mean like the ROIs have compressed for sure. And that, that's like a, another reason that pushed me away from tournaments. It's like, I used to get a lot of volume in from, from like a, um, not necessarily volume in terms of, uh, events, but like a lot of volume in terms of like, uh, capital. Cause, cause like the events were bigger and, um, I felt like the edge was pretty big. So being able to get down 10 or 25 K in an event where I thought my ROI was pretty high. Whereas now like, ROIs are going down and buy-ins are going down. So it's kind of like the, uh, the worst of both situations. And, um, for me personally, like I just want to play these events for fun and like, I don't care how much I'm winning in them or in, in certain events, like these other games, if I'm losing them, I, I don't really care. Like I'm just, I'm just there to, uh, chase the glory and, uh, and like, you know, try to try to like build on the legacy, legacy a bit more, you know, cause, cause like, I, I definitely tried to win a third bracelet in 14, 15, 16. And then, uh, and then I guess it was, I, I was feeling like my, my edge and, uh, the, the, the use of my time wasn't really, uh, as worth it. Um, so I, I, I kind of put it on the back burner and wanted to, uh, just like make as much money as I could. And now I feel, um, ready to, to, uh, get back in there. Yeah, so 2012 Six Max, one of the more prestigious tournaments, and years was for over a million. You took it down, and I, we were talking before the pod. I remember losing the flip like eights to Ace Queen. I don't even remember who had what. It was right before the money, and then pretty sure I had Ace Queen. Yeah. Okay. So like the, the, this so flip situation. How do you sort of, um, you know, how do you how do you? This is something I always find interesting with top players because the mentality side of flips and running good or four to one holds or ace king to ace queen, you know, situations and holding, how do you sort of, um, have you, have you noticed sort of mentally becoming tougher or, or, or does it like, do you still feel tilt or some sort of negative feeling when things ha happen? Or are you like Buddhist mindset to the point where you understand like, look, the game isn't one and lost ace king to ace queen or, you know, 
eights to ace queen, right? That's like that. Those hands kind of play themselves, and the luck of that happens. It's small blind, big blind. It's it's raising spots other people are, and it's finding three bets. It's making you know all the other things of the game. How how because I think so many people struggle with this part of poker, the, yeah. the luck part part that you just can't control. So how do you sort of like how are you able to um, just be at peace with that and 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 understand variance because it's crazy, right? I mean, yeah. you play more poker than most. So especially in cash games and stuff, you're playing when you're playing a lot of, you know, in a session in a day because it could be a week. You get you might get more hands in a day than some do in a month or two. So like your your experience is like runs of like sun run and just losing everyone. How do you kind of like what do you talk me through that? Because I just still to this day find it hard for people to put that in perspective how how variance works. Yeah, I mean, I think it was harder to deal with back in the day. There was more variance back around Black Friday after black a little bit after black friday because there was so much pre-flop action that people were getting it in pre in these no limit cash games all the time like nines versus ace queen like just just you were just getting it in all the time uh so so like your your standard deviation was just like much different than it is now like people don't really get it all in pre anymore so the variance in no limit specifically is like a joke from cash game standpoint i mean i have swings because i play variable stakes so like if i get stacked at 5k NL and the game breaks and then there's like three tables of two five running and I'm playing those it's like that's the type of mental game you need to play in a small pool where there's variable stakes if you want to get volume in so you have to deal with stuff like that but I would say like I never had like I thought my mental game was decent most of my career but nothing it definitely wasn't like this strong point of mine and uh, especially like being such good friends with Tony I've always thought that he was world-class with that stuff. And um, when, uh, I guess it was 2018, I reached out to Elliot Rose, uh, partner, um, Dan Haskett. And I worked with him for like six or seven sessions. And this dude just like changed my life. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, he, he does hypnotherapy um, coaching. So I did that. And then at the same time, I had started playing PLO like recently before that. And one, once you start playing PLO and you, you just have to like surrender to the gods, right? Like you, there's going to be times where there's a guy playing hundred percent of hands that just runs up a 10 X stack and it's just crushing you. And you want to like punch the screen, but there's nothing you can do. And like, that doesn't really happen in no limit. So that happens all the time in PLO and it just makes you like so much stronger mentally with swings. Um, I played some heads up matches in PLO where I was like winning and losing 20,000 in a match versus this guy we played for, uh, we played 1025 for like several sessions. And I mean, it, it definitely like, uh, made me a lot stronger. And, and, and now like finally as a, as a parent, like, I think that has like really put the icing on the cake when it comes to like mental game. I just feel like so happy to be playing poker that even if I'm getting my shit kicked in, I'm just playing poker and uh, like the money doesn't matter. So it's just one long game and I can finally like say that and mean it. I think a lot of people say that and they don't mean it. Um, I have always had a problem with that when I play live cash. I find that like I care about individual losing sessions too much in live cash, but like tournaments, if I bust, no problem. Online cash, if I have a losing day or losing week, no problem. 
Um, it's funny you say that with the mental, I mean, the mental side, I agree. I've, I've worked with Elliot Rowe. I've gone to some of his courses. I've worked with some other, because I think people always, it's not, it's like, there's so many different ways, courses, things you can do, people you can talk to, habits you can put in place. It's just important to be doing something that you also make you aware. I think awareness is a big part because if you're aware, like however that you become to awareness, sometimes it's just talking out loud, you know, to someone and, or, or thinking about it. It's just a whole different level of, of understanding. Cause like 90% of people I think who tilt or, um, you know, have a tough time processing these things just aren't aware. Like they, yeah. cause if they were, they would be like, wow, that's pretty silly. Or like, I, think there, I think there's like another form of tilt that doesn't get talked about enough where like, you know that you're on tilt and you don't want anyone to know or, or, or see that you're on tilt. So you start playing like overly tight and, uh, and like trying to show you're like lying to yourself by showing this this discipline when really you're just like avoiding spots like you don't want to get back in there right away um which i would say is much better uh strategy than actually going on tilt itself but like as soon as you start to uh deviate from like your normal game plan because you're losing it's like a form of tilt so uh yeah that's uh man it's it's so crazy because you know, also like I think sometimes results oriented is so such a big thing that something happens or you try something or like, you know, I've personally never been a guy that's like usually the one in tournaments, right? You know, you know, from playing with me or probably your friend groups like in, in the past, especially, right? Like I, I'm really want to cash or like I don't want to whatever. But then like an example with the spot where like you have eights to ace queen for like that's like a 10K six max right before the money, a big spot, right? Yeah. And, you know, the 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 my core who i am it's like i want to just fold i wouldn't want to like push the edge or i can't remember who was first in or not it matters all these things like i don't remember if it was 20 blinds or 50 blinds or whatever it was right like it's like when those kind of experiences happen on any level whether it's a you know say it's a sunday million or a 500 online or a 100 or you satellite in it's like if you do the right play and you're okay with the outcome it's one thing but if you if you do something and then you feel that immediate like bubble or pain Right. Yeah. It's like you could, that could mess you up for a while. You know, yeah. I, I, I've done embarrassing things. Like I folded, I remember folding in a 1500 in the WSOP, you know, whatever. I folded like Kings with like nine or 10 blinds with like one off the money in a spot where, you know, even like first in or something with like on the, and the, like something ridiculous. But like for me, it's like I know mentally I need to cash. You know, I yeah. can't like bubble in a spot. Like I bubbled a tournament at the 3K six max with aces all in previous WSOP and like, most people and some people say, "Oh, whatever, I don't care." Like I actually care, you know. Like that, that like that's fucking. I that that hurts me. It's yeah. Like, don't bubble a tournament that I played for a day or a day and a half or or whatever. Even I think it was just a one day. But like going home, I know mentally, like if I had not had, you know, granted, I'm gonna have a way better chance to double or or need those chips, even if I'm short, to have a better chance to win. But if I just fold it, like I can't. Listen, I'm tight, but I'm not folding aces pre first in. Yeah. On the stone bubble but like that you know i make top set guy makes a flush and i'm sitting there talking to myself on my blog camera and i go home and it's two in the morning and that shit's not fun you know like yeah. to, it's just not so like uh but anyway like yeah I, I just it's a big mental side of this and i think that many people struggle and i think that that's a big lesson because if you're results oriented in st certain spots it could really do a lot of harm right it's similar to like bet sizing and poker if you're betting 56 percent instead of 80 percent or 70 percent in these spots like that happen all the time right you're just like losing so much money right yeah. over the course of like a year of your life 
And these, and this is, I think, a big thing that happens where people get scared or gun shy in spots, or you're chip leader, right? And you start like you make like a huge shove, you run in the top of the range, and then all of a sudden you're like short or medium stack, and it's like, wow, I didn't need to do that, but really you're supposed to do that. So I just think that's why poker is fascinating. And it, yeah. It's it's not for everyone. It's not for you. The- you have to be like a really sick fuck to play tournaments full time though, because you're like constantly dealing with this stuff. Yeah. And um, like for me, I've always found it easy to not tilt in tournaments because like if you're getting crushed, like the pain is short, right? Like if you're getting crushed, you're gonna bust. If you're getting crushed in a really good cash game, let's say a private cash game where it's like the dream spot, and you're getting crushed, and the game runs for thirty hours, like you're you're not leaving. And you're just dealing with like getting murdered in the best game ever. And you have to sit there and deal with that in a tournament. Like if you're running bad, you're just out. Or if you lose a big pot deep in a tournament and you're short, like the blinds keep going up and the pain is short lived and you either run it back up or, you know, it's like, it's like easy. It's always been easier for me to deal with, uh, with um, the variance in tournaments, but it's easy for me to say that since I've, like run good too but but even even before that even before like the success i kind of always felt like that when i played them it's like i wasn't playing them for a living i'm playing them as as like a form of income but just also for fun and a shot to like win a large sum of money and then if i don't cash it doesn't really affect my uh day-to-day grind so like the guys that play full full-time tournaments and need to cash because it's their livelihood, you know, and they need to like ladder up at the final table because it's the difference in their income for the year. That's, um, I think that's always been like a big benefit of mine where I can just like not really care so much about ICM and really, and really like go for it. Um, um, so yeah, that's for sure. I think it's definitely a powerful thing. Let me, let me, let me run through your, your hen and mob here, which is pretty crazy. Cause this is, I swear it's the wildest thing I, I noticed. I, I got to do a study on this. I would see all poker players are still around, but you, I think 98% of people on this, on my podcast have final tabled their first ever hen and mob score. <laughs> Impossible, right? If you think about it. So you actually won, not even just like final table, but you know, maybe you played another one, right? Or something you didn't cash, but your first yeah. cash one year, is this your first ever live tournament or did you play? No, I had definitely played tournaments there. This, this, this was just my first cash, but this, uh, yeah, I'm glad you pulled this up. So Chewy was there and so was, um, Bill Collins. I don't know why he's listed as David Collins, but yeah. Interesting. Uh, don't. I remember that. I bet that once um, in New York. So what what, what you were what, what what happened? What brought you to this 2007 right after Thanksgiving? It looks like what what brought you to Turning Stone for a $200 tournament? Are you playing cash and just hopped in? So that's actually right after I uh, dropped out of school and started playing full time. Okay. So I would always go up there, and I remember starting to play. That was a really big trip for me because I was I was staked at the time for tournaments, but I was playing cash on my own and I started playing one, two on stars and was playing like six tables at the time. And I remember playing a lot on that trip in the room. And then uh, it's really like when my career started to take off and like sit and goes, I never did that great online MTTs. I never did that great. I was too young to play live tournaments and didn't have enough money to go to like EPTs. So like it's kind of running out of options as to how I'm going to make it in poker. Um, like all my friends were doing well in tournaments and I was just like a mid stakes online tournament guy. And my last resort was kind of trying online cash and it just, something just started to click where like the strategy and everything just started to make sense to me. And, um, I started playing like three tables and I went to six tables. I played a lot that trip 
And then the, the next year, within like a few months into 28 or uh, 2008, I was 24 tabling, one, two on stars. So like that trip was so huge for me to uh, like win that tournament, get some more added to my bankroll after I paid my backer. And um, yeah, just, I would say like winning that didn't really, uh, like a lot of people win an event and get like addicted to the, the rush of tournaments and keep playing tournaments. But I didn't really feel that. Um, yeah. So that's and but like you was it was it there? Did you kind of catch the tournament bug at that point when you win that? Were you like, wow, like I won a trophy or, I, or maybe it wasn't a trophy? I won first. It's like on the hand of mob. People can see it. There's a record. It's fun. This is great. Were you like were you like enamored with tournaments? No, no, no. Like I, if anything, it was like the opposite. <laughs> I just because it was right, right at the same time that where I was just so fascinated with cash and all I wanted to do was play cash. But I would mm -hmm. go for these series because everyone would go, and it was just like a social thing. I could play live cash there, play online in the room, play some of the events, and uh, yeah, Turning Stone was awesome. I mean, I pretty much went to uh, as many series as I could when when I was underage. Is it? I mean, is that like? I, so I grew up playing soccer, and I remember you know, I played in college, but I remember my the peak of fun and just enjoyment of soccer was in kind of high school time and playing for state championships. And I associate this with poker. Like right now, I love poker. I love doing content and stuff, but it's very different. To me, what you're saying, like I remember being around that age too and going to the casino, like playing a cash game. There's nothing more fun. You like you get meaningful for your bankroll. Like you know, you probably are a winner, right? Like you can feel it that you have you're better than most of the players, right? That's just like what you believe and is, is is true. So like, was this the most fun time? Actually, like traveling the world, going with your friends, being in you know, in terms of the poker grind. Like, is this? Would you say it's more fun than even now when you're playing for higher stakes and you've won big stuff? Like, was this the actual most fun period for you? I actually think the most fun part of my career was getting Supernova Elite on Stars. So I did it three years in a row. And like the journey and the discipline and the grind for that pop-up screen that comes. And it's like very anticlimactic. But just how much time it takes to do it. And then you don't get much time off before it starts over again the next year to do it again. Yeah. And it was just so much fun. Um, Can you break that down? Cause this is something that I know that got some bad press from when stars took this away and the, the fashion they did it. This yeah. was a huge issue. Um, and I think one of the big black eyes that poker stars has, cause I, I, a lot of people did grow up on stars and they've done a lot sure. of great things in software and this and that, but tell me about what it means to be supernova elite. What it actually consists of how, how, how many hours, you know, break it all down for me. What do you get and, and how did you get it? And why, why did you decide to go for it? Yeah. So I, I started, once I started playing more tables and learning about the rewards programs on stars, I, I realized by like the spring of 2008 that I could get supernova lead if I, if I played a ton. And I, I basically had to play 24 tables of one, two, six max for 10 to 12 hours a day with one to two days off a month to do it. But I just felt like I could do it. And I remember telling my parents, I was like, I'm going to make 250 K this year playing one, two online. I'm going to, this is my win rate. I think my win rate was like two or something, maybe more $1, $2. Yeah. So my, my win rate was like two BB 24 tabling. And then I was going to make 110 K and rake back. And I was going to play like 2 million hands or something. Um, so, uh, I had, uh, you have to get a million VPPs and I had like 300,000 in May. And, uh, so I was, I was like behind. Um, but I, I just started 24 tabling around that time and I, I felt like I could do it. And, uh, I mean, it was really hard. Like I hit a huge wall in, in November, but, uh, 
it was just like such a uh, so when did you awesome get like late December? Yeah, like I got it on December 30th. And I think no I made way. I think I made 240 that year or something. And um and uh rolling into early 09, I, Tony swap. So so let me go back. You got two tournament packages as well as your uh <clears throat> rewards for Supernova Elite. So that year I took the main event and PCA main, and they give you like hotel and spending money and whatnot. So I played PCA main uh for the first time. I swapped five percent with Tony and he chopped for one and a half million. So that now, now I went from like starting my career with maybe 30 K now I have like 300 something thousand. And, wow. uh, and, and now I, I, the next year I had played two, four and three, six and got Supernova Elite. It didn't take as many hours because you play in higher stakes. And then 2010, I played uh five, 10 and 10, three, six to 10, 20. Um, once again, like hours went way down because the rate goes up. Um, so yeah, it was like a really good way to build my my bankroll and get um, a lot of hands in. Like I wouldn't say that I actually got like that great at poker doing that because you're not really like even though you're playing a lot of hands, like you're not actually able to review a lot or uh, actually think about what you're doing because you're just twenty four like, tables. That is insane. I think I tried it a couple times, like eighteen yeah. or so at one two six six max, right? Yeah, I mean, I did I did some full ring because sometimes you had to back then at the bigger stakes to get 24. Um, yeah. So yeah, I did play some full ring. Yeah. So crazy. And give me give me your gain your win rate. You think at six tabling one two to 24? How does it drop? Back then, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe I could have won at like eight to ten six tabling or something. Um, is there a chance then if you do that math is it would have maybe better to play less tables and less and just yeah probably but i just wasn't really like thinking that i was just thinking like i'm guaranteed to make a quarter million this year with like no variance you know because because yeah, yeah like the, the my biggest downswing might have been like 20 buy-ins or something like nothing it's just like straight printing twenty thousand a month with uh with like no overhead cost and just like really building building my bankroll and, and give me a look into what your game constructed of in terms of your 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 learning and studying then versus like now what you think you don't have to obviously give me your I, i'm very curious but well you know give me kind of how how were you studying or how were you differentiating yourself from the field to be a winner back then yeah so i was watching uh i remember tony went to monte carlo and he let me stay in his apartment for uh like a couple weeks in his room while he was gone and with his roommate and i watched Lego poker videos back then every single day I'd watch a training video and then I would play. I did that for like a couple months. And then at the time, Tony was playing two, four and three, six. And uh, another friend of ours, John Moore was playing similar stakes. So I'd be able to uh, like talk hands with guys that were the level above me. Um, so that was, that was huge to be able to watch them play and just talk hands with them. You know, I always thought about like the 24 table, um, that type of grind, like what, how valuable would it be to have someone behind you, not telling you what to do or how to play, but like, yo, don't fold out here time. Like, yeah. do you think that would be helpful in any, any, any way to like have someone kind of spotting? Cause like, I just remember playing a lot of tables and timing out and stuff and being so, you know, cause that's, that's hard. You must time out a lot with 24 tables. Literally, I like would never time out wow. <laughs> because, well, because I, um, I've always had bad eyes. So I, I got laser eye surgery. They're, they're good now, but, um, I, I, uh, would, I would cascade my tables. So it was easy to get around the tables. Like if you were tiling them, it'd be much harder. Um, and then 
even with cascading, I started having wrist problems pretty early in my career. So I, I started stacking my tables. So it'd just be one massive table with them all stacked on top of each other and just like pop up, pop up, pop up, pop up. Um, so even to this, like anxiety though, if you got like a big hand and it pops out and you got 24 tables and another one pops out like that, that I just, that, how does that work? So I would just drag that one off to the side. Like if I was all in or I had, a, I was in a big spot and drag that off to the side and I could still, it would just, everything else would keep popping up, but I would have this one off to the side. Okay. Um, so even to this day, I still do that. Like I'll stack my WSOP tables, I'll stack my stars tables, and then my Borgata or party poker tables, uh, have to be tiled. So, um. Wow. I still do the same thing today to like save my wrist from moving around this massive screen all day long. Well, I, I would, I would love to watch that session. I, I remember Timothy seeing the Bahamas when you're like him, I know his five ten graph, right? Where he was just insane. like, it's insane. he's the reason why I switched off star supernova elite to play on full tilt. And I was doing really well. I won like 200 K the first six weeks of 2011 on full tilt before I relapsed. Then I, I, I was like playing high and losing a bit, uh, playing, I've lost like hundred K in a day, playing these two different Germans heads up 2550 and then uh, black Friday happened. So it's probably good timing for me that black Friday happened when I was likely going to be losing all my money <laughs> playing online uh, on drugs. But like, yeah, his graph on full tilt was like why I switched over to playing there. And that's when I started playing like 2550 that a 40, 80 game. I might've, maybe I played some 50, hundred on there, but I played, I played 200, 400 on stars a few times back then. Um, yeah, that's when I started actually like improving because I stopped playing so many tables and was just playing high stakes, less tables. I was playing pretty much everyone heads up back then other than like Sauce, Jungle. But like I played Anski, I played Johns, I think I played Chewy, uh, played three-handed with Sauce. I played three-handed with Sauce and Chewy, um, played with Nuts and Ho a bunch. Uh, yeah, so I was just like really going for it and trying to like challenge myself really for the first time in my career because before it was just like print the money, print the money, print the money. And now it was like, okay, I have the capital. Let's actually try and go improve and get better and play anyone. Yeah, so, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. And so, all right, so now, you know, you 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 win this tournament, you, you kind of get, you, you get your role, you're crushing, you're doing online stuff. Where was, uh, I mean, it just basically... Uh, tell me about this 2012 like you win player of the year you get fifth in a shorthanded one you're crushing these shorthanded events and then win the world championship but you know how big of a increase like you're already doing very well like there how big a deal was this to win this million here first and then here and also you and tony had some business and swaps and stuff too right you guys were doing yeah so that four-handed event that i got fifth in tony made that final table with me i mean that's unofficial final table since i got fifth yeah but, um, uh, yeah, he of the devil this guy can play, huh? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, me and Timothy were really good friends back then. Um, I mean, we're still good friends, but I don't travel and we don't play in the same game, so we don't talk much anymore. But, uh, yeah, that was a sick, sick final table. Um, that guy, Brandon Ruby, I thought always played really good too. Brandon Ruby, it sounds, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And, yep, yeah, he's, uh, I don't know if he's around anymore. Yeah, it looks like he's he looks like he's he's firing 2022 February something it's over in Australia. But yeah, so so you have a so you know how big a deal was it though for like what what did this do for you? What did it mean to 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 win this tournament? And then I mean it's really right at the end of the summer, right? Both right here, boom boom. Yeah, so a good story about this. Like I so I, I relapsed in 2011. I lost like 400k. Excuse me, sorry. Um. I had like a couple hundred thousand left to my name and 
I was playing in some private games back then in the Maryland area whenever I would be home from uh, Toronto and he, Tony started staking me for these private games. Um, I lost like 40,000 around the holidays and I went back to Toronto and I was like, Hey, I, I don't want to give, give you any of my online action. Like you, you, I still want you, I'm going to get out of makeup. Like if I'm not out of makeup in the next year, I'll start giving you some of my online action. Um, and like, you can have my action at the world series. So we go, we get, we get to Vegas. I'm only, I only have seven tournaments on my schedule. I'm going to play cash. I'm like losing a bit. I think I'm like 60 K makeup now, maybe 70. I get into the Paul Pierce game at, at uh, that house. I think Jeremiah was running that game. Yeah. Um, I win like 50 K there. So I'm like almost unstuck. And then these tournament scores start happening. So now I'm up on the stake and like, I think, I think Tony tells me at some point that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't need to like stay on the stake because at this point now I had really recovered financially to have like several hundred thousand and not need to be staked for anything. But I told him like, I, uh, you know, I gave you my word, like a year, I'm, you're going to have me for the series. So then the 10 K six max happens. I win. Then he tells me again, you know, you, you don't have to be staked for the main, like, it's kind of ridiculous. Like you just made me all this money. And I was, I remember leaving the front door of our, of our house that summer. I was like, nah, man, we'll, we'll just keep it on, but give me 60, 40 for the main. So then, uh, that, then I wrote him a fucking huge check. <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, what a, what a, I mean, that's honestly one of the more incredible stories. Cause like, exactly. It's like normally people are staked or backed or peace, like they need it of necessity. And the fact that like, not only did you honor your thing and do it, you actually won him like 500 or 550. Yes. You know, and then even then with the main, you're hot, you're feeling good. You're like, you know, whatever. Cause it would be so ridiculous, you know, or you could have said like, yeah, let's swap 10 or buy 10 or something yeah. would have been reasonable or even more than reasonable. Um, yeah. but even so, so that's, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Tony must send you a, a Christmas card each year. It keeps, keeps, uh, you know, he's one of your best friends or is your buddy? Like you've known him forever. Yeah. I mean like even the money that I paid him, it's like the, the, the money that he made me by increasing my skill over these years is like, invaluable so it's almost like i could have given him more and it wouldn't it wouldn't have been enough in a way you know and then right. and then over the years like he's made me so much of it back like i had 10 percent when he won the one drop for like four million or something and um like different pieces of other seven figure scores of his so but I, you're, you're hitting home to something I, I, I think you know you're also you're talking about loyalty in some respect, it's like a different way of looking at it, I believe, right? There's that's, a, that's kind of a strong word to use in this in this thing. But ultimately, I think that one of the biggest learnings I've learned in poker, and you could say this about golf. I don't know if you golf, and you obviously tell a lot about someone, how they handle themselves, winning, losing, and otherwise. But I think in, in general, it's like poker has so much ego, and there's so many people that I think have a hard time to calibrate. I like saying to calibrate because it's tricky, right? Like you just said it, you, you kind of summed it up. This, there's not a formula. There's not an exact number, but you even said, even with giving him this or that, like you believe he's given you so much value and you yeah. just fundamentally want to do that. Cause like this is, there's a lot of this too in games, right? There's a lot of um, private games. There's a lot of like spots where you can do nice things for people, give them the best of it or mm -hmm. give them good opportunities or not, or people easily forget, you know, like, you could just like justify like it's there's a lot of selfishness, a lot of greed, and a lot of things that people generally like. There's three sides to every story. I really believe that, right? There's your yeah. side, there's their side, and then there's like 
you know, the, the real thing. And it's really hard sometimes to sort of j- to, to put a number or a degree, right? Especially when you're lending or loaning or someone does something for you and maybe like, you know, you know what I'm saying? I think you're really touching close to it. I think this is super hard. And so many people, I think, feel some type of way. And you, it's hard to get in the other person's mind even, right? Like, yeah. obviously, this is a good version of that, right? This yeah, is like, yeah. talking about abundance and like whatever, but it's also like when people owe money or do this and, you know, it's, it's, poker's got a lot of that. There's a lot of sort of like um, difficult situations or people that maybe forget things or people did something nice or they owed some money and then they have a score and they don't honor things. And uh, I don't know. I see a lot of that. So it's good to hear when there's yeah. like feel good. Story. I mean, by no means have I handled these situations well in my career, because I definitely like I, I was in a lot of those situations uh, like early in my career with uh, starting to get banned from public or private games and then not being able to play in these private casino games and and uh, like having someone stiff me for a large number in a private game and then like calling them out publicly and doing doing things that like I definitely would approach them much differently now in my mid 30s than I would in my early 20s um, and like dropping the ego and realizing that it's just part of that scene um and yeah like like i think we both understand from playing a lot of private games that like you don't always have to be getting the best of it but uh like the counter to that is that i play online cash in like an extremely cutthroat environment and like if i'm not cutthroat when everyone else is being cutthroat i'm just giving up too much so like this is just the way online cash has been for several years now and i i'm like i'm not proud of it you know like should everyone snaps it out when when like the bad player gets stacked? No. Should we play a few hands and see if he's going to reload? Yeah, but no one does. And like, there's a lot of things that are uh, like very uh, predatory in the online cash games. But like, you put me in a live private game, like I don't give a shit. I'll put the straddle on. I'll put the restraddle on. I'll flip you for five thousand. Like whatever you want, you know. I'm I'm not trying to like press every edge. Like you're inviting me to play, I'm gonna give you action, you know. And I feel like a lot of the the uh, like newer school guys m- might not really understand that. Actually, I was playing live last night for the first time in a while, and and I was playing PLO, and um, like half the table was straddling a hundred. So like, it's not a p- private game. I don't have to straddle to a hundred, but like, the guys straddling to a hundred are the ones giving action, and like, I'm not playing that loose, but at least I can do is just put the hundred on and like show that I'm uh, <laughs> like kind of give the illusion that I'm giving action by putting the hundred on. And then yeah. eventually the game just turned into 51 anyways. But uh, like stuff like that, I see a lot of these guys in these casino games are just like never going to put it on, you know? Um, yeah. I think, well, I think there's also a lack of emotional intelligence in a lot of areas and, and things that are just sort of like, yeah, it's like, yeah. Exactly, you gotta be or like the guy wants to see my hand. Sure. Look at my fucking hand. Like, I don't give a shit. You know, look at my cards. No problem. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do, give a little, little bit of that for sure. And tell me, tell me about the, um, the main event where you, I believe you were down to one or two big blinds at some point. Is that true? I played this huge pot with, uh, six cents. I don't, Fabrizio Gonzalez, I think is his name. He was like the most insane player ever back then. And, uh, we got like five bets in on the flop. When I flop middle pair nut flush draw versus his set, and uh, and I bricked for like a, I think it was like a four million chip pot at ten twenty k, and I had um, fifty five thousand left after that hand at ten k twenty k, 
Wow. And then the spin was on, man. I won like eights versus King Jack. Then I won King Jack versus eights. Then I got a reshove. I got a uh, like three bet shove through. Then How I got a uh, one forty. Oh, jeez. Then I got a four. Then I got a four bet shove through. Um, so like the three bet shove and the four bet shove, getting those through like without having to win all in at that point in the tournament was like chipping up so much. And then all of a sudden I had a million. What was the four bet hand? You remember? I definitely, I mean, I wasn't not, neither one of those spots. I was like bluffing or anything, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, then I had it back over a million. And I remember looking at like the point structure for player of the year. Cause I was trying to like stall. There was a point jump at 134, I think. And um, I wanted to get, get the points. Cause I knew I was going to be in the running and they still had world series Europe left. Um, but to be honest with you, I wasn't really that devastated because like I just won the tournament before and now I'm on day six of the main and like what I'm, what I'm going to complain because I lost this, like, you know, who, who cares? Um, so it was like a perfect mindset to have. Right. Um, and like, even when I started running it back up, I never really thought that I was going like, to keep spin. I don't know. Dude, I was in such a like blur because I I, the, I won the tournament right before so I was on like no sleep for uh for like two weeks because I had like a day off before the main and then you have like those couple days in between days one two and three and then you just play straight through three through seven I mean the, the fact to go bracelet bracelet winning the main I mean that, that can't be I'm sure that'll never I mean it's almost impossible right to win the tournament the one you play right before bracelet and then win the main like I, I, I'm sure it's never happened right it's can't I can't yeah, hopefully, uh, maybe I can hold on to that one for a while. I don't, I don't think. I mean, that's just that's too much. It's not. It's just too. That's too. It's really. It's really insane. I definitely, I don't think it'll ever be broken. That so I played. It was four days for the six max, and then it was technically nine days for the main because you play the final table in two days. So I went thirteen days of playing tournament poker without getting uh, knocked out, which is like my uh, ultimate claim to fame. That is that is absolutely insane. So and and tell me though, when you actually won it, what, what was like? What was what did that feel like? When and how was the? Uh, I think actually in the 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 ten k, you won the first or second hand back on day four, and never happened before as well. Was, yeah, it was one of the first hands. Um, like we were thirty big blinds uh, deep, and I was playing Keith Lear. I'm sure you know him. I've played with him, and he's like really aggressive. And he established early on that he was just gonna be using massive sizes and like ramp up the variance. So like the night before when we were playing heads up a bit, he was just like ripping it for 30 big blinds over my, uh, my button open and stuff. So I, uh, I kind of went into that fourth day knowing that I would be looking to, uh, to play crazy as well. Maybe that wasn't like the right strategy, but yeah, he threw at me and I four bet of King, nine suited and beat ace jack and uh yeah and um yeah <laughs> at the time i didn't know him and he wanted to chop and i was like yeah i don't know this guy and they don't facilitate deals and like we're playing for 400 some thousand difference and like of course i want to chop but like i, I don't know anything about this guy right so that's it's tough it was a huge match yeah sick that's that's very sick and the final table anything stand out from this the, the the main event one i mean you get heads up uh that's a real real big heads up versus a combo player i mean i, I mentioned jake balsinger he actually knocked me out ace three to ace deuce it's my deepest run in the main um forget like 220 or something so not not like 
tasting tasting it but he was in, relatively an amateur i think right relative like new yeah he was 21 yeah 21 yeah so some other you know jeremy osmus world class this guy rob salabru salabru this guy actually steve g he won a bracelet as well before so i mean there's a bit of bit of play bit of you know russell thomas competent pro like how, how did you feel at the final table and what was that like to, to get it done what was sort of like where were you stacked and how did it how did it go i mean i had a bad Citral in a sense that Sylvia was on my left with ship lead, but um, I had direct position on Jeremy, who I thought at the time was the best player left. Like I always considered him better than me. Um, he's just like world-class and I'm glad that he's been doing so well these days and getting like some, some spotlight. But uh, yeah, so he was on my direct right and was shorter. And then Russell Thomas had always, I've always thought that he was a good player, but he hadn't, I think he hadn't been playing full time, like leading up to the main. He had been working a, a job and had, had had been like getting back into poker full time. So he wasn't as like sharp at the time. Um, so that was a like, good timing for me. Not that I thought he was like a weak spot at the table by any means, but like in, in terms of like the top players at the table, maybe he was third or fourth. But but I didn't feel like he was uh, like on Jeremy's level, right? Um, and then uh, yeah, I mean overall, I felt like it was a pretty good spot. For me and like the stacks the stacks were deep so um like really my only preparation for the final table was playing like really long sessions on purpose like i would play 16 hour sessions live to just prepare for uh the likelihood that we could be playing like a really long final table for this for this uh for this main um and that's like literally exactly what happened we the first day we only played five hours to get to three-handed and then we played three-handed for uh 12 hours um yeah so it was yeah good good practice yeah it's pretty pretty sick um and and what is uh okay so you you win that and then tell me about like after what what how, how i mean this is a pretty incredible week period here two week period for you what what do you do after this do you go back east do you, do you kind of run around are you so going to i i had uh like contractual obligations to go to jacksonville for uh my sponsorship with them regardless of how I did. So I had to be there five days after the main and they had set up a, like a 100, 200 game with, uh, with Ron, the guy who built the place. Yeah. Kenny Tran was in that game and, um, yeah, it was a fun game. Um, so like I had already wired hundred K there like ahead of time to go play maybe 200 K. And, um, so I ended up going, I had to shoot a lot of footage for Ivy poker right after, which was annoying. And then that company didn't work out, but, they, they had me filming so much for like a day or two. And then I went to um, Miami for two or three days. Then I flew up to Jacksonville and then I went to uh, see my now wife who was in grad school in Syracuse. Um, so like I didn't make it home for a couple weeks. And uh, like another good story around that, that time is that I chopped with Jesse heads up. I got 7.2 and he got 6.6. So I had to send him like 1.1 million or something, or 1.3, something, I forget. It was, it was over a million. And I just had my parents write a check and send it in the normal mail, like a fucking idiot. And my parents' mail got stolen. And the only reason they know that is because their credit card bills didn't get paid. And then, and then some other, something else that they were sending just never showed up as well. So Jesse was texting me like, hey, I have like, these swaps to pay out and I'm waiting for this money to come. And I'm like, Oh, it's in the mail. So like what's going through his mind at this time where like, he's waiting on this huge payment that's just not coming. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell is going on. So 
eventually I had to go to the branch and like set up a new account, move all my funds over. And then we, we ended up wiring it, which is what we should have done in the first place. But. Why did it, why did so I didn't understand what happened to the, why, why was the, what happened to your parents' mail? Someone like the, someone the, stole the mail out of the mailbox. Just randomly. Be, they, they, I mean, I'm sure it was like on purpose. No, I know, but I'm, it's like kind of crazy that they like that yeah. happened to be when the, that check, like it's like almost you'd have to know, right? Yeah. Like it was so, going out and that. Or, I got a new bank account when that happened and then someone stole my signature and forged a check of mine like a few months later, probably from a home game. Um, and I had to get a new account again. So that was like uh, no issues since then, but it was kind of crazy. Give, give me um give me a BTC price prediction for January 2023 and Ethereum. I mean, hopefully a lot, man. That's yes, a lot. That would be good. I think for everyone, for poker, for the community. But give me like a just give me a guess because I like to ask people just like you know without going too deep into the crypto rabbit hole NFT. No, I love the coins, man. I love the coins. I, I don't have any NFTs. I mean, I have some NBA Top Shot and stuff, but like I love uh, love the coins, love DeFi, love uh, getting in there. But, Throw um, me a price. Give me a guess. I want you know. I might have a bonus. Maybe you get a flow show hat if you if you hit the price right on the nose for twenty twenty three. Just give me a guess. It could be. It doesn't matter. Give me. I just want to know where you're at. Where your head's at. Uh, I mean, the general consensus that I've heard from like sharp guys in chats is that we just dropped between thirty and sixty k this year. But like, who? No one really knows, right? Like, so uh, maybe. I mean, I, I think rates are going up, regardless of this war they just kind of have to um yeah so i i'm not really that bullish in the short term but i mean i'm just a long-term holder with like pretty high conviction it's the biggest bet in my portfolio in terms of like single asset like i i don't have like an insane exposure to crypto like some of these other guys do but it's my single biggest bet in terms of one specific asset um right so I don't know. Maybe we'll say uh, fifty-four thousand. Okay, fair enough. And okay, and Ethereum, you feel in the same sort of like bin where you just it sort of mirrors it, like percentage-wise, or just like what about Ethereum? Price? So like I I don't know like the tech enough to really like speak about what I think about it personally, but but I do think that that uh, it's tough to imagine it getting adopted on a uh, like in, institutional level because. I think it'll be classified as a security. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of competition in the smart contract space. So it's like, there's only, my thesis has always just been that there's only one Bitcoin and there will only be one Bitcoin. Like the, I don't think there's, at least not in the next like 10 to 20 years, I don't think there's going to be anything competing to replace Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And there's all this tech going after smart contract adoption. So, I mean, I have Ethereum is my second biggest holding. It's not like I'm rooting against it, but I just have like more conviction in, in Bitcoin. I'm more of like a Bitcoin maxi. So you saw this, this Satoshi Nakamoto thing from Musk. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. cool. I just like was pulling that up. I mean, I, it's, uh, are you, you're, you're more of an ETH guy. I feel like you are. No, I like, I'm BTC. I like BTC. Okay. I, I'm, I'm with that. Um, and, uh, I, but I like, yeah, I think Ethereum's interesting too and more utility, but it's exactly, I'm not in, I'm, I'm in some chats. I'm in some stuff. I follow along. I'm not in there doing deep dive work or, yeah. you know, I'm, uh, I just, yeah, I follow the, follow the, the smartest guys I know and yep. kind of keep my head. Oh, your boy Rast is like all in too. Yeah. 
he's sharp. He likes his stuff. He he knows what's going on. And uh, yeah. yeah, no, I think yeah, I, I whatever. I'm bullish. I'm bullish on it in yeah. general. I got all right. I want to ask before we get out out of here because this is uh has been. It's always exciting to catch up. This really has been a treat. I want to know about this sort of addiction cycle stuff. Like you went through stuff that you were involved with some drugs and that. How are you able to cold turkey? Kind of stuff. And I, I believe in December of 21, you, you celebrated 10 years sober. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So like I, I, I hadn't touched any drugs uh, my whole life until um, the summer before college. And then I ended up smoking weed basically every single day leading up to uh, my freshman year at Maryland. And then uh, that's when I tried Coke for the first time. And then it all just unraveled. And I was doing a bunch of drugs, playing poker, skipping class, grades plummeting. Um, so and what, what got you to try that for the first time is just around, you had some people you knew that did it. Like what, what like decided and did, did you really in the, in your head when you did it, were you like, Oh, like, I'm sure that I could just do this once in a while and it actually became addicting or like what, how did that like that? Yeah, the, so the first time I did Coke, I didn't do it a second time for like four months and yeah, I did. I didn't really like think too much of it. Um, and then the second time I did it, I was just like insanely hooked. I, I remember feeling like, wow, this is awesome. You know, I've, I've never tried cocaine in my life, not one time. And I, it was around at my university in South Carolina. It was definitely mm -hmm. around. I just, and, and I actually would, from streaming a lot on Twitch, people would make jokes. Like I think Joe, Joey Ingram would kind of like do something. We're, and we're friendly, of course, but he would say, make jokes. Like they were saying, I'm like the hype guy and always whatever. I think it's a compliment, but I've never tried it. Cause I feel like I'm, I am a high energy person. I think it would like, I, I'm sure, you know, there's a reason why some people do it, right? It's like, it, it, there is something there, but like, that's just like a bad habit. So I've personally never tried Look, I've gone to Burning Man, you know, I've had some fun done. I'm not yeah. saying I'm a, I'm a saint um, by any means, but I'm just, I've never actually tried that. And I do feel like that is probably one of the more addicting ones that would just be, you know, could get, could just not good to do. Right. That's not something you'd recommend. Yeah. I mean, I will say coming off of it as hard as it is, the fact that there's no um, physical withdrawal makes it much easier to get off of because yeah. later in my drug use, I ended up getting hooked on pills really bad and like opioid withdrawal is the fucking worst thing ever. Like the worst depression I've ever had along with the worst physical pain and suffering for like three, four days and having it linger for seven or eight days. I mean, awful. And I only used pills for like six months. So like, I can't even imagine like long-term users, how much worse it could be. But um, yeah, basically 05, 06, first half of 07, on and off drugs, in and out of rehabs. Not, not I didn't go to any like stay, stay away uh, rehabs, but just in and out of being clean, um, and then um, I eventually got clean for three and a half years and relapsed the beginning of 2011 for 10 months. Um, and yeah, just, my life was like falling apart. Like I literally was, I was like a huge favorite to, to overdose at some point. I was just like, just, yeah, losing my mind. And, and how, how did you, what, what was the moment or when did you decide you're just like, I like to snap out of it. Cause those are, I mean, that's heavy stuff, right? This isn't like, you just, you know, it's not necessarily as simple as, oh, I'm just going to mm -hmm. stop today. And you probably say that during that period for, yeah. for a lot of days. Like how, what actually caused the change? So, I, I mean, I've told this story a bunch before, but uh, I, I was, we were in Vegas for Five Diamond. I was staying with Christian and Tony. And, and like, I think Christian, walk, they walked in the room and I was like passed out on the bed with like my head in my chest, like nodded out. Um, 
And then I think Christian caught me using that trip or something and just really like ripped in, ripped into me. And I guess I just kind of needed someone to, uh, to call me out or maybe I wanted someone to, to, uh, well, that's a great crew. Yeah. Christian, Tony, I mean, oh, Christian, I've known him for forever as well. He's a, yeah. he's and then he's like guy. the most straight edge guy ever too. So like, um, and it's like embarrassing relapsing in front of your closest friends that you've been spending all this time with. Cause I met those guys right when I got sober. So they had never seen any side of, the, of this from me. Uh, they, as far as they knew, like I didn't do anything and I was hiding it and stuff. So, so like it, it was uh, perfect timing. And, and I, I mean, poker was going terrible too. Everything was just awful. So uh, I mean, I really just had no choice unless I wanted to be a full-time junkie. Yeah. And and that and tell me about your you know you you now are married you have two kids what has that been how how impactful and how how have you been able to kind of balance that with with playing poker and, and working that into a schedule with the freedom because I think that's one of the things poker players so great to have freedom but at the same time it's easy to fall into some kind of bad habits with timing scheduling or just yeah. also like the biggest benefit you have is that and then some people don't utilize that how are you able to capitalize and, and make your life uh, where it works with the family. Sure. Yeah. So I got on a pretty strict schedule right before we had kids where I was playing five and a half days a week, um, the same days every week, the same amount of hours. And then, um, then I went to five days and now for the past almost year, I've been playing four days a week and everything has been scheduled out ahead of time. Uh, so I, these are days I play, these are my off days. This is what I do on my off days. This is when I hang out with the kids. But, but I, I, I Around when the the uh, the China apps started becoming popular, I was waking up at like 5 a.m. to play those, and I started realizing that like I just like waking up really early. I mean, at the time I was probably waking up normally at eight or nine, anyways. So waking up at five, I mean, was a big adjustment. It's but, still um, that's a big adjustment, and, and even so, like night. So then, what time would you go to bed? Um, well, back then I would go to bed at like 9:30 or 10, and I I would almost always nap back then now i can run on less sleep but uh yeah now i i mean i play from most of my hours are between like 6 a.m and noon so i still play most of my hours in the morning and um if i need to take a nap because i didn't sleep well or not enough i've always been good at being able to do that so now i go to bed at like 9 or 9 30. Wow. i'm usually up between 5 30 and 6 30. That's great. Waking up early is definitely on my list. Sometimes it's not possible if you play kind of late yeah. games or just in general. Also, I, I just feel like a night owl more in general. It's like I get stuff done and it's kind of. I like was the same way too. Like I didn't wake up before two or three p.m. for like the first ten years I played poker. But then oh, wow. uh, my I just when me and my wife started dating, it's like I just felt like I was never going to see her um, with that schedule. And actually, Black Friday started making me wake up earlier because all the games were on like Euro time zone. So when I lived in Toronto, games kind of just died off by like 6 or 7 p.m. So I would start waking up at – I would set an alarm to wake up at 11, and it was like such pain to wake up at 11 a.m., but that's that's when it was late afternoon over there. For sure. Um, very, very interesting. And I, I want to ask you about Macau. I think you spent some time there. How many trips have you made over there? Yeah, I made three trips. Uh, the first one I made uh, like – Four months after the main, I went for Chinese New Year 2013 with Tony. And the games were just absolutely insane, like just sick as shit ever. I immediately booked the trip back before I even had left. 
Um, went back three months later. Games okay, not 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 so great. Um, I actually the plan was to spend the first half of the World Series in Macau while everyone was hopefully in Vegas. Um, a lot of people had that same strategy, unfortunately, but. We got lucky that we were there for the best tournament ever that I got to play. It was a, a 1 million Hong Kong rebuy add-on with like junket guys that were getting free rolled in the event. What year was this? 2013. Um, Nicholas Heinecker won for like oh, yeah. 5 million. And yeah, I, I, I got second. I didn't cash, but like we took such a huge shot. Like I was in for two. I was in for 2 million Hong Kong and Tony was in for 3 million Hong Kong. And we took like 86% of the action or some, somewhere in the high eighties. And it was like a turbo too. So it, it, it was just such a, a sick uh, degenerate shot, shot take for us. But we swapped with um, a lot of guys and uh, neither one of us cashed. And we ended up still making like hundred K us and Tony bubbled in a flip. So like, really we could have just, absolutely destroyed the spot um if he if, even if he min cashed because we had like six guys at the final table or something it was it was uh this is like kind of the sad part about these high stakes tournaments but like that's the reality of what's going on in these things maybe not so much anymore but back then it was right yeah it's uh it's definitely definitely interesting and macau what are your overall takeaways from there as a place i mean it was awesome but at the same time it's like there's nothing to do other than play poker and for me, it was really toxic because I would play online there too, since I couldn't play in the States. So I'd go play six, eight, 10, 12 hours at the win. And then I'd go up to my room and play high stakes online. And I was just playing like way too much. So maybe maybe the first week or two, I'd, I'd be playing pretty well. But by the end of being there for three weeks, I'm just not not playing well, making huge mistakes and massive pots. And like my results there weren't, weren't very good. Like I, I don't think I ever really was like responsible enough to take breaks and like get enough sleep and get a workout in and eat good and stuff like back then I just was like play 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 you know and um you have to be a little more disciplined when you're playing at stakes like that and um you know if you make no limits an unforgiving game if you make a mistake for six figures on the river like uh yeah so it'll make or break your whole trip yeah Yes, absolutely. And what about uh, sports? Do you, are you a competitive person? I know you love to compete. Did you grow up playing sports? Yeah, I ran cross country in high school, and then I played baseball my whole life. Um, so I, I ended up I played on the club baseball team at Maryland. Like I, I probably could have played D three, but um, my breakout season was my senior year, where it's, it's a spring sport. So I was already accepted to Maryland, and um, my junior season I hit like three hundred. And you got it. You got to hit four hundred plus in high school to get looked at. Um, so my, my senior year, I hit 430 and um, was for first team all county and stuff. But I, I, I had no shot at being like D1 player or anything. But I, I love baseball. My brother played D1. He probably would have gotten drafted, but he uh, had Tommy John surgery and never recovered from it. So come from a baseball family. My dad's coached for like 30 plus years. Wow. And how big a Maryland uh, Terrapins fan are you? I mean, big. I mean, not. I mean, this year was the worst year we've had in 30 years. The basketball team, but yeah, I've, I've huge fan. Um, grew up going to all the games. My parents still have season tickets. I don't get to go to many games because I don't live there. But uh, the last game I went to actually was like days before COVID shut down the world, and I remember thinking at the game, 
we shouldn't be here right now because I'm like living in the New York city area where it was already starting to be a thing up here. And I went home that weekend. It was a Sunday versus Michigan. And like, I think that Wednesday is when like everything started to shut down. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was weird. Yeah. I remember reading COVID stuff on my phone, sitting there with like 17,000 people around and thinking like, this shouldn't be happening. Yeah. Wow. Was it, was there like an energy there though, that kind of people knew it was sort of weird or was this like, no, cause, cause really it was just like a New York thing. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, it was, I think it was in Seattle and stuff too, but, uh, it just started popping up in New York and no one really knew what was going on, but everyone in my area up here was starting to, to like talk about it and take it very seriously. And other parts of the country hadn't really, uh, like gotten there yet. Yeah. That's uh, it's great. Honestly, the last two years do feel like a blur. It's really wild how it's just kind of like the, everything's happening and, and you know, there's been, it's been different. And, and how about you, how has your COVID experience been with being like, we're for, because I guess, I would think it's similar in the respect for me is like, I was at, you know, being not traveling as much or being just like, there's no, you said like FOMO, right? You're not like worried. Oh, I'm missing this or people are doing this or this is going on. It's like, all right, you have your kids or your, your child, right? Whoever around the same age, you get to maybe enjoy more and be focused. Was that, did you feel like you got more focus, more things done and were able to spend some more time at home? Was it actually for you? Yeah. I mean, for, for, it was kind of, well, I don't think for anyone it was good timing, right. but, uh, I just started to really, uh, tone down how much I was playing like right before COVID. And then that, that kind of changed because the action was just so insane that I, I, I felt like I needed to be playing more. So it was like a bit much on, from that sense. But, uh, I mean, I feel like I'm built for, for, for lockdown, right? Like if you play online poker, you're just like a hermit. <laughs> um, right. I've never been someone that needs like a ton of, uh, Social, socialization and like personally socializing like drains my energy so i'm very very happy just being by myself and like i, I like to go do things but um in terms of like output for work like the worst thing i can do is go hang out the night before like a work day it's just yeah it's just like my energy the next day is so off um yeah I'm, 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 I'm completely with you. Uh, what about uh, daily fantasy, any sports stuff? What are your, what are your thoughts on, on uh, DFS? Do you have any, 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 do you do that stuff? Do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy sports betting a bit? Or so like I don't do DFS, but I got into sports betting a bit in like 18 and 19 because all the books started opening here. Um, and then I was betting a lot during the, the bubble, the NBA bubble. Um, but I was just doing prop bets, which is like the easiest thing to beat. Um, with like the, the Sims from the daily fantasy sites and line shopping and paying for services that show all the lines across all the books. And you've got like 20 books here. So um, I was like, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm able, like uh, DraftKings was letting me get down like five to 10K a night in NBA uh, prop bets. And we thought we had like a 5% edge or so at the time. Turns out it's probably higher than that. Um, and yeah, I mean, then that like, being naive to that industry, I was shut down in like a month. Um, so I started betting less across different books, but then I was still getting shut down. So now I'm shut down in like half the books and just kind of gave up on it. Like I, I do some like odds boosts, random stuff, but yeah, not nothing. I thought I was going to start making it like part of my grind, but uh, it's a lot of fucking work. They're yeah. always shutting you down. It's hard to get down good size gotta have a lot of accounts you always have to get new accounts so like 
a lot of respect for the guys that do that, but uh, not for me. <laughs> it is its own world, right? That's its own. It's 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 not something you really want to do as a hobby. It's it's you kind of got to be ingrained in it, and then there's yeah. three it's so it's too consuming for me too. It's just like just like crypto is twenty four seven. The sports world is twenty four seven. Like you're always checking lines. You're always you always have to be on your phone or or at the computer for injury updates and like sniping these opportunities of like this guy scratched forty five minutes before the game and like the lines move. For the game line but like the props haven't moved so you're getting down across all these different players that are that are off and like yeah it's just it's 24 7 man <laughs> i have friends that do it every single day and like it's like i don't know how they do it it's sick and uh any any business aspirations in terms of you know investments or, or things or hobbies that you really enjoy like what are some things that you would if you weren't doing poker or maybe even on the side that you're looking at doing is there any industries or or genres that you're sort of that you're fascinated with? No, I mean I had a real estate company that I started after I won the the main in 2013, and we bought a bunch of uh, properties in Maryland, just two bedroom condos in different parts of uh, the suburbs of Maryland. But my partner bought me out last year, so I had zero exposure to real estate. And now I just bought a place, actually, um, just outside of uh, Charlotte in South Carolina. Uh, part of a building last year, but yeah, mo most of my investments are just passive index funds, um, crypto. Yeah. Nothing, nothing too, uh, too interesting. I mean, I definitely am trying to get more exposure to, uh, like more volatile assets as like portfolio grows. I think you can start taking more shots at stuff. Um, but I don't have any like aspirations of starting my own company or, working for a company you I love poker you love your freedom you love your you love the game and you're and you're you're just you're enjoying your, your setup it sounds like because you as you know like those things take takes a lot of time right that's the thing yeah and I, I was signed by wsop for a year and i realized pretty quickly that like i don't i mean sure if you're gonna pay me enough money i'll i'll uh represent your brand but like i don't want to have a boss at all so like it i just don't want to I just want to do my own thing and be left alone. And like, yeah, if I could make more money being like this super famous poker player, great, but it's not really for me, you know? So I realized that quickly after, after winning, like I never got into poker to have like a huge platform or anything. And then it's just like given to you. So um, I'm very appreciative of it now. Like at first I hated it. Um, and, and uh yeah, I guess I'm just like more accepting of it now. And that's why I kind of feel like ready to start playing more uh, at the series and um, trying to get trying to get out there more. Because even like this interview, like I turned down so many interviews over the last five or six years. Not, not that I get asked for interviews that often anymore, but like really just wanted to be left alone. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but I feel I feel like COVID has sped it up where I'm ready to uh, put my face out there more. And what what are your overall? I'll leave on this one. What what are your thoughts about content in poker? And have you considered streaming on Twitch or doing YouTube or anything? Is it something that interests you at all, or so, just? So uh, I was I was one of the first guys to stream on Twitch because um, because I was friends with Scott Ball back then. It's 2014. I was streaming. I streamed like 10 sessions. Okay. And uh, really, it was just Jay Carver and, and Jamie Staples had just started, and there was like no one in the space. And I got put on the front page of Twitch, and I got like. 2000 viewers and like 
a ton of unique views or whatever for like the hour that I was playing. Um, and yeah, I just realized that like I was playing cash and like you have to play tournaments if you're going to stream. People just don't really care. Like they want to, they want to follow yeah. the story, right? Like, yeah. um, so once I realized that, I, I, I thought it wasn't for me. Um, I did have a lot of fun with it though. Like, I think I could be a really good streamer. My friends know that watch me play online, think that I could do a good job streaming. Um, but yeah, I, it's not, it's not for me. And um, content wise, I would like love to do a, a vlog at the series. And maybe that's something I do five, 10 years from now or something where I just don't care about punting off this capital to do a vlog that gives me nothing but like pleasure because I no sponsorship and no, no, uh, no like aspirations to be sponsored. Right. But yeah, I mean, I watch, I've watched every Negrani vlog at the series. I watched your vlogs at the series and stuff like I, I consume that stuff and, um, it would be really cool to, to yeah do i think i mean i do think it is a net positive for the industry i think these things like there's a lot of yeah. people doing these things that i think it does bring people in as a whole like you know there's just it can a person particular streamer or youtuber can really hit home to someone right yeah. it, can, it does bring people and i have seen that from um just examples i know of other people like where i, I hear people talk about oh this guy this person i watch or this is why i'm here i've seen it many times but yeah i think it's i think it's great i think it's great that uh you know, I think it's great that you're going to be back out there and firing. And I mean, you definitely, you know, if you, if you call one of the good guys in poker, I think that anyone who knows you or cross paths knows that you're a very genuine person and you know a great ambassador. You're definitely one of the guys people are happy that won the main event. Right. I'd say it's not always the case, right? There's a, there's a mixed bucket of that. Of course, some luck in, in who wins and uh, 2012, a great year um, and, and great to, that you got, got to handle that and, and, uh, and have that, man. I mean, that's just like, honestly, I, I don't think you'd ever wipe a smile. Like winning the main, winning the bracelet's great, but winning the main event, like it's kind of you, you really should just have a perma smile. <laughs> do you, where do you keep your bracelet? Uh, so it's just in a in a safe back in Maryland. I've haven't I've seen it like three times lifetime. Um, and then my dad has my other bracelet. Um, he used to wear it all the time, but he doesn't wear that much anymore. I, I also haven't seen that one in a while either. What do your parents think of that of poker? And like, when was there a turning point when they when they like kind of like? I mean, obviously what 2012 but what, at what point were they concerned or just always like go for it you're fine good luck so my mom was always pretty supportive from the beginning and um like all of my bank records were getting sent there when i was living with other people i wasn't moving my address around at the time so like they could see that i was doing well um but i also kept a ton of money online so i don't think they knew exactly how well i was doing um another reason why I, they couldn't see how much I was losing when I was relapsing because I had so much money online. Uh, but yeah, the huge turning point for my dad was definitely when I won one bracelet and won won the main. Like it just kind of I think clicked for him more. Yeah. yeah, I'd say that it's hard. It's hard to ignore that at that point. That's uh, that's pretty pretty surreal. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, listen, I I again, it's been a pleasure. It's great to catch up. I hope we get to see each other maybe in Vegas, if not before. Uh, if you're ever down in Florida, let me know. And, you know, I think, uh, yeah, man, uh, that Maryland, some good times during lived there in the, the same period. And, and, and we always had some very good mutual friends and it's been, it's been fun. I think we're both, uh, can say the same about poker. It's been, it's been kind. Uh, yeah, I feel like you love poker just as much as me, man. I do. I do love it. I do. I wish I, you know, I, I wish I played a bit more than I am currently. I, I would like to play more and, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, this period of time where it's, 
you know, it's, it's a bit confusing. Like you're, you're lucky in New Jersey that you can play on regulated nice sites. And that's part of the problem. Like just in general, I have to travel if I'm playing tournaments online on yeah. sites and, and trying to figure out some stuff. But I got some stuff in the pipeline and I'm definitely gonna be active in content. And uh, what about Triton? Have you ever, would you ever, you, you have any thoughts on playing some? No, of those no, I don't think you'll see me in these super high rollers ever. Again. Short deck, no short deck. No, I, you might catch me on like this really soft 25 K somewhere, but like, 10ks and below for uh, old Papa over here. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Those, you know, you start getting up there, you realize, uh, yeah, once in a while, exactly. I think that's about right. If there's a great 25, it's fun. But you know, you realize. I'm, I'm, trust me, you're you're in a different level. But I, I personally, you know, battling with with some of the names we've been mentioning throughout the the podcast, it's not like not like fist pumping to go put 50 or 100 down or have sell action and be battling with these guys that are. They're really yeah. on another level. The top points. They're so zero. good. Yeah, I love watching. The, I watch like all the Poker Go streams. I love watching them play. But yeah, yeah I, I have no intention of playing with them. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, listen, Greg, it's been a pleasure. Great to catch up, man. Wish you all the best. Your family the best, and and Vegas, man. Hopefully, you get another bracelet. I hope to join you on that uh, category as well. And I'm sure we'll uh, we'll be battling and playing, and hopefully having a uh, you know catch up in person in the near future. Yeah, I'll Vegas. try to sneak in behind you on your vlog at. Uh, at the series. I love it. I love it. Great, man. Thank you so much. All right, guys, that was Greg Mercenez, podcast number 170. It's in the books, the 2012 WSOP main event champion, also player of the year that year, and he won the 10K6 Max. Uh, definitely has a lot of accolades we could keep talking about. But um, again, you can check him on socials. I'll show you over here. We got his uh, Instagram, which I believe he said he doesn't do too much posting on, but you can get some picture of Merson and there is him. GM, what a, what a, Greg, what a, what a nice initials you have in crypto. Yeah. GM. I mean, of course that's your, your thing there. So um, yeah, that's, 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 that's beautiful. And I uh, wish you the best and we'll be following along on the socials and, and seeing you at some final table soon. Sweet, man. Thanks for having me on. Cheers.